Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to The Greatest Generation, a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are Data and Yar, the morning after to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. You see what I did there? I I got one of my metaphors out of the way really quick. Oh, shit. Oh, no. (laughs) One down. Yeah. Data Data and Yar, the morning after for Embarrassed. That's pretty great. That's you know. nicely done. You are really great at this show. <laughs> this is a special ep. Yeah. We, we we rolled How do we got we, we got to this via a, a butthole, right? Our first space butthole? That's the way to a lot of things, Ben. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, first time through. <laughs> Never forget your first, sir. We also, I don't know if we talked about this before, but our game of buttholes, The Will of the Prophets at gach.biz slash game has gotten a little spit shine. Oh, yeah. Andrew Wang Hoyer teamed up with Felipe and Craig, who have already put a ton of work into it, to give it kind of like an L cars look and feel, and you can actually track where on the board the runabout has been and it also like pulses a little bit so you can <laughs> you can spot it easily it looks great it looks like it's in hd now yeah it looks totally tack sharp and crystal clear i like it a lot i do too our challenge is to have 10 tamarian style <laughs> metaphors in this episode one down nine to go <laughs> and uh and yeah i th- uh, I'm excited about this one. I think it's great. They've done great work here. Important work, really, to the degree that anything we do could be considered important. Yeah. I mean, to the extent that it is not important at all, you mean. (laughs) To that extent, exactly, Ben. And in that (laughs) spirit, I want to propose (laughs) a game. Oh. A game we haven't played in a long time. Would you like to do... Some Star Trek Mad Libs with me? Yes. I thought you'd never ask. One, two. And you people, you're all some kind of Star Trek. Mad Lib, Mad Lib. Some kind of Star Trek. Mad Lib. Well, you thought I would never ask because it has been months and months since we've done this. But uh, I'm sure Dan Davis hasn't forgotten. He's the one who gave us Star Trek Mad Libs. And... uh, I think I'm ready to play again. So let's get started. Ben, I need from you a verb. Present tense? Yes. Poops. Verb ending in ing. Farting. Uh, Let's have a plural noun. Balls. And a number. 69. Yeah, that's the only answer. Noun? Uh, boob. Adjective? Fleshy. Type of liquid? Piss. Jeez, this is like doing this with an eight-year-old. Yeah, that's kind of the, uh, the that was kind of the strategy I I I thought I would pursue. I was looking at the at the board game and I saw Jay Gordon's little mug <laughs> looking back at me, and it really uh-huh. inspired me. How about verb and same verb? Oh, so we're using this verb twice. Yeah. Boink. That's kind of funny to say twice. 
Noun. Grundle. Article of clothing. Merkin. Color. Red. Adjective. Greasy. Adjective. Stanky. Plural noun. Peni. Celebrity. Gowron. Plural noun is the final, final Mad Lib. Nipples. Ben, welcome to Starfleet Academy. Before you set your phasers to poop, (laughs) you've got a lot to do before farting, Starfleet Academy. First of all, you'll have to leave your old balls behind. What? If you're going to spend 69 years in space, you need to start with a clean boob. (laughs) Second, get ready to work. It's not all exotic fleshy aliens and Romulan piss. You'll need to (laughs) boink and to boink hard. Eventually, you will be divided into groups and given a grundle. That determines the color merkin you'll have to wear. Pray you don't get a red one, or you're as good as greasy. But life at Starfleet Academy is not stanky all the time. You'll meet all kinds of new peni. And remember, (laughs) hotshots such as James T. Kirk and Gowron have passed through these nipples. You could be next. Welcome to Starfleet Academy. Wow. Yeah. That's fun. That was fun to read as a speech. Yeah. As a speech to incoming freshmen. Now I want everybody in this room to raise their hand that wants to be a captain. (laughs) One half of one of you. (laughs) Et cetera, et cetera. You remember how long the idea of a Starfleet Academy TV show was in development hell? That seemed to be whenever anyone was talking about a new Star Trek. Oh, I think this is... This is the Starfleet Academy one. And even yeah. like like the the movie was pitched as maybe a Starfleet Academy movie. Yeah, I'll drink to that. <laughs> I, uh, they really they really got rid of that idea. Yeah. But they're doing that Lower Decks cartoon now, right? That's the sort of uh uh Rick and Morty version of New Trek, right? I'm here for it. I think that's gonna be fun. Yeah. yeah. Got a lot of work ahead of us, Adam. I know. I'm here for that too. Are you here to review an episode, though? Let's do, Ben. It's Deep Space Nine, Season 4, Episode 16, and it's called Accession. Two C's, two S's, two P's. It's like Mississippi. Yeah, not to be confused with Accession, the excellent Ian M. Banks novel that is mostly chat logs between spaceships that have personalities. Oh, it couldn't be that, Ben. No, it's it not that. <laughs> it couldn't be that example you cited that I know nothing about. Oh, it's one of my favorite novels. You should check it out. Adam, his brain oozing from his ears. <laughs> Do you realize how incredible this is? <laughs> no, of course you don't. O'Brien's apartment is hoarded up. He has really leaned into the idea of the workshopification of his of his living space. It's like a sculpture, a monument to your year as a bachelor. He and Bashir have finished up a, a hollow suite hang in which they were doing Battle of Britain and Bashir is like back at back at the pad. Do you ever like have a friend whose whose place is not that nice to be in because it's kind of a mess? <laughs> That's I like I think we that's, all have those friends. That's sort of what, are you are are you withholding because I'm that friend to you? No, not at all. You've always <laughs> I often stay at your place when I'm in LA and I found it to be uh, clean and comfortable. 
Oh, good. I know you would tell me on air if, <laughs> if that wasn't the case. I would, because it would be funnier. <laughs> ben, the show doesn't tend to do prop comedy very much, but this is an example of that, isn't it? Like, stuff in the foreground, stuff in the background, shit all over every flat surface. I'm going to be a prop comic. It must have been really fun to go through the, you know, storage facility of Star Trek garbage. And just fill this place up because, like, they definitely didn't like purpose build all these objects, right? Like, they're they are right. things from other episodes for the most part. What are the things that you leave out when your wife is away for a period of time? I would say that the grossest thing I leave out is like I'll I'll have like one napkin that gets used across a span of like three or four meals. Wow. You know, like I'll eventually I'll be like, all right, this is gross and it's got to go in the laundry. But the idea of, of the conservation of napkin <laughs> is something that I can get away with when I'm when I'm rolling solo. Yeah. I think for me it's dishes. Like I am very good at the dishes when uh you know, just on a normal day. Yeah. I don't let that shit pile up. But if it's just me alone, I will do dishes at the end of the day instead of like washing as I go, which is a practice that I do when I'm cooking stuff all the time also. Oh, right. Because you're not a, uh, you're not a dishwasher, dishwasher machine house. So that's a bigger concern, I suppose. Oh, we're a dishwasher machine house. We oh, you are? Those. Yeah. Oh. Which, which is what makes it all the more insane. Yeah, that's it's right crazy. there. I don't know. I just stare off. I stare out the kitchen window to the middle distance and just let my mind go i feel like the dishwasher though when you're when you're a single occupancy household can be as much of a liability as it is a like a time saver Mm. because like if i let the dishes accumulate to the point that there's enough to justify running the dishwasher that might be like two or three days that they're sitting in there and then stuff that's on them dries and becomes plasticized and impossible to get off you're not wrong about the liability of dishwashers because uh, i was recently at my favorite bar last night uh, and the restaurant neighboring my favorite bar has had to close for a period of days because uh, they're in in an apartment building they're on the business level ground floor of a of an apartment building that's above Uh and uh, their upstairs neighbor had a had a pipe break from their dishwasher and Fuck. and it drained into the restaurant area and it drained and drained like it it happened overnight and it was just a Damn. ton of damage so wow had, uh, they're a danger to everyone if you have one I recommend getting rid of it very interested to learn about how the insurance payouts went for that <laughs> yeah it's it's in pretty sad shape they're like uh, it's paper on the windows Damn. right now yeah. I thought that it was interesting that we never come back to the the O'Brien, O'Brien apartment is a mess storyline. Like, it's just not a mess after this, right? I mean, there are a number of parts of this episode that lean fairly hard in a comedy, like harder than you would expect. Right. And if there were a cutaway of O'Brien, like, with... Like wheeling his shit to an incinerator <laughs> or like something that blows it out of the station into space. That'd be fun, right? Yeah. See that zero gravity coat floating out there? Yeah. Floating away with the rest of the garbage. 
I've got to test the torpedoes, sir. (laughs) We get the idea that uh, Keiko has been gone for a year by the time O'Brien steps to the docking ring to greet her and Molly. The botany trip that she was on, I think I remember she came back at the halfway point and said, like, it's been been extended quite a bit. Yeah. But a year, it feels feels like about a year that, that she's been not... A going concern on the show. We are told through perhaps retroactive continuity that that episode went very well for them. <laughs> they didn't. I don't remember them showing it going in in that in that episode, but apparently it did. We'll just have to use our imaginations, Adam. You know what we could also use is a is the Temerian language. Yeah, and I have something for this. Uh huh. It's sort of a couplet. That's how I wrote a number of these. So here we go. Keiko and Miles on date night. Miles inside the nebula. Keiko, (laughs) her boat unfound. (laughs) But she steps off the the transport and it's Keiko and Miles when the bun baked. She's glowing. She's got that Molly's Molly's little brother is not a dolly glow. I love the Bajoran dolly. That's great. Yeah, that, that Why wouldn't it be a Bajoran detail. dolly? Yeah. I mean, I guess replicator. But uh but yeah, it, it's pretty cool that they're they're raising their daughter not to expect that your dolly looks any particular type of way. Yeah. That's a nice um, thing to do. Yeah, there's they seem no- really happy to see each other, which was nice. Yeah. You know, like there's definitely the secret single behavior of of Chief O'Brien that we saw. It seems it's not only women who have secret single behavior. This is my stuff! This is fucking spectacular! But his shit is snapped back into shape by the time Keiko ever sees the apartment. Yeah. Uh, one of the other passengers on this ship is Vedic Porta, uh, who's sort of like the Colonel Sanders of Vedics, really. <laughs> now, whoever brought this bucket of chicken in what for, I don't know, but uh, don't it smell? It ruins you, by golly. I, I'm getting... Be as hungry as a dickens, sure. Uh, he's there on on whatever random religious mission he's on, and uh, he's there with a couple of newlyweds for Cisco to bless. I liked that the male of the of the newlyweds was a wordless extra. <laughs> <laughs> they only paid the the lady to have any lines. So that's great. <laughs> I thought that, I, you know, like you notice you notice that thing, and you know that. Uh, they were like, all right, we can afford to have one of these be a character with a name and lines. Right. Um, uh, one of the ways that we achieve character growth in an episode is by beginning with a feeling and ending with a different one. And the feeling that we're given here is a reluctance or a, I wouldn't say disinterest, but like sort of a, a neutral feeling that Cisco has about uh, performing these ritual rites. His heart's just not into it. It's something that he has to do, but he's not going to be enthusiastic about it. Yeah. It's uh, it's the, like, going through TSA to get on an airplane of his job. It's like, it's just a, a thing that I got to do. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't have to be happy about it. Looking for a priest. The wedding's at one floor down, my son. Congratulations. So this couple, you know, holds hands and he uh, utters some, some Bajoran words and uh it means a lot to them doesn't mean anything to him and they and they bounce and Fedic Portas like really really licks Cisco's ass about how 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 good his accent is 
and uh, and then bounces. Yeah, it's uh, it's one of those uh, condescending things disguised as a compliment. Right. That yeah. I feel like uh, that I feel like you and I hear a lot. The the damning with faint praise of the most important figure in your religion. Yeah. Well. <laughs> Cisco doesn't get to bask in the neutral feelings of this moment for long because a 100-year-old Bajoran lightship emerges from the wormhole. 300-year-old. Ca- really? Yeah. Really? From these readings, I'd say that ship's about 300 years old. Interesting. Well, anyway, it's containing a Coram Lan, who by virtue of his experience inside the wormhole and his interaction with the, uh, with the prophets... Sort of has a feeling that he might be the emissary. I am the emissary. Cisco, his position made awkward. So, if anyone in modern society claimed to be Jesus, they would undergo some sort of psychological evaluation. There is no such. Oh fuck! You think so? There's no such. <laughs> I should not have sent that email. <laughs> <laughs> Like, it's funny how uh, there's no test for what a Koramlan is saying. Like, like the ship is old, and yeah. he has proven himself to be an ancient poet. So, And that is evidently all of the identification required Multipass. To, uh, to prove his story. And I think Odo from Jump is... Uh, is reluctant to accept him as the new emissary. And he is sprinkled throughout, I think, as a great utility and a reminder of this as the episode goes on. It's a, it's so interesting that Odo really, really more closely hues to Bajoran identity than almost any other, but yeah. has never, never once espoused any element of faith in his character. He has never had an orb experience that I can think of even. I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. <laughs> I'm just tired of people throwing their religion in my face. I can get what some people get out of a trip to church or a synagogue, out of a really good yoga class, for example. I'm not a hypocrite for celebrating Christmas. It's a cultural holiday to me. <laughs> I just like to be included. Marshmallow peeps are delicious. It does have a religious aspect. (laughs) Also, I'm amazing at yoga. Cisco is psyched about this. He sees a way out. Yeah. And it is easy for him to, to uncouple himself from this job. Like, I am trying to remember, like, the moment that, that the realization was there that he was the emissary. I don't, recall there being a great ceremony about it but there is no ceremony for the transfer of emissariness is there it's just given it just seems to ha- well yeah because there's a there's the scene in his office where he and dax are talking about the the research he's been doing and he like a big part of what he is leaning on is that akoram lan went into the wormhole 200 years ago in their timeline, Akoramlan beat Cisco to the celestial temple. Yeah, and uh, he 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 just feels like it makes a lot more sense for a Bajoran to be the emissary of the prophets, and he's trying to get off the hook. And I feel like that is the 
the moment in the episode that it sort of shows its hand a little bit mm-hmm. because I don't think off the hook is really in the vocabulary of Deep Space Nine. Oh, interesting. You know, like no like major plot point that happens to a character ever really goes away on this show. In mm. like the the moment I heard that, my ears perked up, and uh, and I was uh, curious to see basically how how they would navigate. A Coram Lan becoming the, the emissary and then becoming not the emissary again. A Coram Lan experiences that thing that time travelers do, where he is shocked at his circumstances. My wife, my parents, they're gone. Maybe mostly having to do with the rejection of the caste system that had ruled Bajor uh, during the time that he was there previously. Yeah, this kind of comes out as, as he's being... He's he's in he's in the infirmary and everybody's talking to him about oh yeah like a lot has a lot has gone down since you've been gone and somebody refers to Major Kira Major Kira and I guess her surname indicates what her role in society would have been in a in a caste system that Bajor abandoned amidst the occupation. But your family would be part of the artist, the Jara. So the Cardassians did good things too. <laughs> Wasn't all bad. <laughs> uh, yeah, and uh, I mean, like, this is a pretty wild part of the episode because Kira just breaks into song. She goes, Said you've been gone! I've transcended my cast for the first time. They chose moving on, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but we still like your poems since you've been gone. <laughs> Beautiful. You've got a great singing voice. Beautiful. <laughs> but yeah, so. I thought I thought it was indeed fascinating that there's not a scene where the the mantle is is passed on or anything. Like there is some talk of Cisco doesn't want to be the emissary if this other guy has like a credible claim to it. And then it's just like Akora Mlan is like coming out of the temple to address the the masses. If there was ever a moment to come up with the idea of talking to the prophets directly about what they wanted, this is the moment, right? <laughs> like before transferring this amount of power to a stranger. Yeah. Now you now is when you do that. I think. It's great. It's great. You got to save it for the end, Ben. Yeah. Yeah. The I mean, the dramatic stakes just go up and up and up the longer you wait to do that. <laughs> It takes a thousand percent more effort to transfer who the captain is of a Federation starship from from <laughs> Picard to Jellico than the main religious figure of an entire world. Yeah. Like they should at least do the hand scan thing, right? Yeah. Make sure he's not he, he doesn't go gold. Yeah. Right? Holy shit! Ben, I Oh my God, I never even thought of that. I can't believe I haven't. <laughs> like, how could you not at least do a golden blood test on this guy? Yeah. Hey, uh, we got to take some blood. Uh, hard to explain why. 
Uh, <laughs> you would not believe what we are dealing with right now. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out that celestial temple has a back door, and the people that go through that are assholes. A quorum lawn goes into a small room and then comes out with a vial of golden liquid, and he's like, "What? <laughs> I thought I thought you were wondering whether I could produce something golden." <laughs> This is a blood test, decorum. We do yeah. not need your urine. Yeah. And then you just see like Dr. Bashir looking at the urine and licking his lips. <laughs> Gross. Anyway, yeah. what are you implying? Just that uh <laughs> Dr. Bashir is a bit of a a bit of a water sports enthusiast. Jesus. I don't know. <laughs> no, I don't believe that at all about him. Is that why Bashir is always buying drinks for Dabo girls? <laughs> Fork is like, uh, do you want the 12 ounce or the 24 ounce? And Bashir is like, 24. Keep them coming. Speaking of drinks, Bashir and O'Brien catch a, uh, a quick happy hour one on O'Brien's way back to his apartment. And uh, the this is like the the deep B storyline of mm-hmm. O'Brien feels as though he must always be at home because Keiko is back now. And that yeah. is putting a strain on his rich social life that he developed in her absence. Is she back forever now? I guess so. I mean, I don't feel like they made it explicit, but maybe I just missed that part. I mean, I think that like one of the unfortunate things about the way their relationship is depicted is like how normalized it is that she would just have 100% of the childcare duties and that when he's like bumming around the apartment, she's like, I wish you would just go so I could be with the baby and you could be out drinking with your friend, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like that kind of sucks. Yeah. I guess he does like some hangouts with her but he's really just trying to project Bashir onto her by making her learn to play darts with him good shot molly did i win hardly there is a thing that happens in long-term relationships where it like where obligation creeps in and like this idea that o'brien is is there because he feels like she wants him there out of obligation without ever interrogating that I think is too bad. Like you can have this conversation like about expectations and such. Right. But, you know, left alone in his thoughts, O'Brien is erring on the side of, well, party's over. (laughs) Time for no friends. And this is a thing I think a lot of people experience when their friends pair off with people and and either uh, begin relationships or get married or whatever like they're right. i think a lot of friends lose friends because those friends stay home because of a sense of this obligation and i think that's too bad i think yeah. i what i'm trying to say is i really think you can't have it all i think so too adam <laughs> i think that miles and keiko aren't communicating and the way this arrangement has worked out is no good for either of them yeah wow what do you say about this scene with Worf? Everything I want to say about this uh, scene with Worf, I have uh, I have thoughts to share on later in the episode, if oh, you okay. catch my meaning. Oh, all right. Well, we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll gloss past it, if only to say that uh, a very funny part in the episode involves 
Bashir and O'Brien discussing a pregnant Keiko with Worf, and uh, yeah. the reaction is not what you might expect. It's fun. Keiko, the goalie pulled. <laughs> O'Brien, his pucks shot once. <laughs> Bashir, his quarters unnested. <laughs> wow. Beautiful. I mean, the conversation that O'Brien and, and Bashir have in the bar is like, Keiko was here for a day. A couple months ago, man, I thought it would take more work. Clearly not, Miles. Clearly not. O'Brien is a very virile man. Yeah, he is. Uh, he is shooting ropes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. To be quite honest about it, I was in a pale. Mr. Bucket, I have to revert back to my liquid state. So Akoram Lan gets up on his uh, on his soapbox, and uh, he is now the anointed emissary of the prophets. And he does this speech like Cisco watches it from the CNN live stream on his laptop up in ops. Uh, but but there's a big crowd there, and Kira and Odo are standing next to each other so that we can get the two shot as Kira's face falls in disbelief because Akoram Lan turns out to be a kind of like have the kind of like magical thinking of conservatism of if we just go back to the the old way, things will be better and and life will be great. Be sure that I've returned to has lost its way. He's totally like a the 50s guy. Yeah, it's false nostalgia. Yeah. He wants Bajor to move back to their caste system. Everybody has to follow their Dajaras. The thing about a caste system is that it only benefits those in powerful castes. People yeah. like a Coram Lan. Right. Like, he do, he's got nothing to worry about. Yeah. But all of a sudden, you're turning scientists and uh, teachers into into artists and farmers, and it's, uh, it's all fucked. But because this guy is the emissary, his philosophies are unquestioned. Yeah, and that's that's a point that Kira makes to Cisco later. Like, Cisco's like, "God, this guy seems like a real prick, right?" And she's like, "Yeah, but he's the he's the emissary, so we got to do what he says." And he's like, "Really? Because I wouldn't necessarily have asked you guys to do something this like uprooting of the social order." Maybe you never realized this, Captain. But we would have tried to do whatever you asked of us when you were emissary, no matter how difficult it seemed. Kind of a crucial conversation in the greater context of this episode, I think, is that moment. It's a trip, right? Like to think about like this power that he had that he had in his hands but never wielded. Bashir overhears this conversation and he's like, If I were the emissary, I could make anyone on the station piss on me. <laughs> and they'd have to do it. And then he's like stealing a runabout and heading for the wormhole. <laughs> Let me see if I can talk them into it. <laughs> hey, what do you say? Me, Bashir, the emissary. I am the Bashir. <laughs> I like the nasty piss. In, in a universe without time, the piss flows <laughs> infinitely. <laughs> <laughs> For me, piss moves linearly. <laughs> it limits me. <laughs> uh, later, Cisco uh, interrogates Acorum's plans a little bit, 
and uh, like in a stream, I mean specifically, <laughs> and makes it clear that uh, a caste-based system makes Bejor unfit for Federation membership, and and uh, and a quorum is that something you really want to do? And a quorum's like, yeah, sure, like I don't care. This isn't I've about- never heard of the Federation. This yeah. is the first I'm hearing of this. Yeah, like how am I missing something I don't know anything about? Like we'll be fine. Yeah. I mean, that's like the other thing that is really astonishing to think about is somebody with this little grip on the way reality works suddenly having a ton of power. Right. That would be awful if something like that happened. And that's the thing about Akorum is that like he projects this air of being like a populist, everyman poet guy, but he's really just severely mentally compromised and dumb. Yeah. And inexperienced. But like he possesses that self-assuredness of someone who rises to power uh, without without any sort of uh, skills right. or, or, or understanding. Or empathy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he does that thing where he grabs Cisco's ear and uh, and declares that Cisco's got a strong pa. You know, and when you're emissary, Ben, you can grab him by the ear. Just yeah. you can do anything. Yeah. They they let you do it. And a tic tac falls out of his ear. <laughs> what? You ever, you, you ever been grabbed by the ear hard? That shit hurts. Yeah, that's not a nice thing to do. Yeah. That's a non-consensual ear grab. I thought it was interesting that Akoram Lan observed that Kai Wynn is afraid of Cisco, And I, I thought it was interesting both in that it says something pretty interesting about her character and also made me realize how unusual it is that she's not in this episode. But I guess if she was there, like it would like this would be a much more complicated story to tell. Yeah, but it's interesting that she's one of the first people that he's brought to meet. And it yeah. is not Shakar. It's Kai Wynn. Right. And Shakar is like like Shakar's destiny as the political leader of Bajor is also cast into doubt by this whole Dajara move because like the prediction is nobody will want to vote for somebody that is defying their Dajara to be on uh, in in power politically. Right. The next scene in the replomat involves Cisco and Kira, and it's an example of what the caste system does in practice, because Kira experiences a kind of deference that you only kind of get in a, in a caste society. A, a, a young woman there wants to give up her seat to Kira and does it not because she wants to be nice. She does it because she is of a lower caste. Right. And this makes Kira pretty uncomfortable. I would say that this is the one part of the episode that makes the case for a caste system to me, because as an only child, that really appeals. <laughs> I've never had level. anyone in a lunchroom want me to sit with them. <laughs> so this was the the greatest fantasy part yeah. of this sci-fi show. Imagine that. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so Kira wasn't tripped while walking by? Huh. Cool. No, nobody took her cupcake off her tray. Yeah. God, we were such fucking bastards in junior high. Like, anytime anyone would get French fries from the cafeteria, like, yeah. 
The fries would not survive the transit to the seat. They would get taken <laughs> off of the tray. Uh, I only ever my high school had a cafeteria, but I never, I never got school lunch, and I've I've uh, I, and it's the only school I ever went to that had a cafeteria. So my high school had a Taco Bell in it. What? So I went to a high school that was at the time I went, I think one or two years old and it was like a a new concept in high schools it was like a very it was built kind of like a mall like it was kind of open air what and two stories there was like a promenade it, it was a little deep space 90 and one of the weird attributes of it was that its lunchroom had i think i would argue like regular lunch food like your your chicken patty sandwich your right. hamburger your uh, your pizza pocket, but the, also uh, the healthy foods that are helping yeah. train the young minds that will be the future leaders of tomorrow. Yeah, and then also under like like oh under a warming lamp, Taco Bell branded burritos and tacos, wow. like in Taco Bell paper. Fuck. And this is a thing that rival high schools would make fun of us for all the time. We were the Taco Bell high school. <laughs> it was humiliating. But I tell you one thing, it was not so humiliating that it uh, deterred me from eating a delicious bean and cheese burrito from Taco Bell <laughs> at high school. It's weird, right? Like we had we had off campus lunch also. I don't know if that was a thing that you're familiar with, but like yeah. we had fast food options around. Right. And Taco Bell felt that that was insufficient. They wanted to be in the building. Right. And they were. That is astonishing. Yeah, you go into that fourth period class after lunch, pretty beat after uh, after two <laughs> in between two and three bean burritos, Ben. Yeah, that's you, that's uh, nap time. You have to excuse yourself from class, and then it's a real Adam his cheeks wide type situation. <laughs> I yeah, I would I would grab the Taco Bell branded hall pass, <laughs> and then uh, retire to the restroom for between. 30 and 45 minutes. That's just a little bonus to Marion metaphor for the kids at home. That's great. What are you doing now? Cisco has a bad, bad dream, much in the way one might after eating a shitload of Taco Bell. Cisco. His sheets wet. <laughs> Bashir stealing Cisco's sheets. <laughs> <laughs> and he walks. Uh, he walks down the promenade, and uh, and there's a, a great like light change moment where the camera is briefly occluded by the the mall directory on the promenade, and then when when it like dollies past on the other side. The lights have gone down to almost nothing. And Kaiopaka is there. Great to see Kaiopaka again. Yeah. I thought, she is uh, not happy to see Cisco, though. She's like, you never come talk to me. I'm on this fucking planet where I'm going to live forever. And nothing? Nothing? All I do every day is just watch these people try to kill each other <laughs> over and over again. Never happens. It's weird. She is asking him who he is. and. 
It turns out that that she's asking that on like a slightly deeper level than like, what's your name? Don't you know me? As far as technique goes, I really like how this is shot. Like, I thought a lot about those dream sequences on TNG where Data was involved and yeah. how they'd go to sort of a fisheye lens yeah. or, and, and like things just looked dreamlike. But the dreams in DS9 and the interactions with the prophets are are shot in such a way that it's the light that changes. And I think that's so much more effective in making a viewer feel uh, uncomfortable or feel like a scene is haunted. Like, right. I, I really like how they shot this stuff. Well, and, and the idea that she is kind of jumping around the space every time he turns his head, there she is. Yeah. That's also a great, uh, a great technique that they use very effectively. Yeah. Cisco gets diagnosed with what's called an orb shadow, which is kind of a like an acid flashback mm-hmm. of people who have had profit hangs. And Bashir is able to give Cisco something that will prevent this from ever happening again, which I thought was an interesting thing to just breeze past. Like, like at no point is consideration gave, given that like, oh, maybe this is actually like an important way of communicating with the wormhole aliens and I shouldn't foreclose on future opportunities to do that Bashir has his mind on something else though he's like before I administer this orb shadow inoculation I'm gonna need a urine sample (laughs) and and I'm gonna need a lot yeah probably fill up three four cups (laughs) as much as you can I'll put it on my shelf full of thermoses that was seen but not commented on a couple episodes ago yeah yeah Kira's job in this new Dejara verse is artist, but uh, she finds that it's a it's really a type of situation where the dolphin, it's wood unpolished. <laughs> Kira, her ashtrays unsold. <laughs> she is a shitty sculptor. She is yeah. not good. Yeah, a very fun, like almost wordless scene of her just struggling to do some clay, <laughs> and then later complaining to Vedic Porta that this is uh, this whole Dajara thing might not be working out for everybody. Arts and uh, crafts time does not go well, Enterprise. <laughs> <laughs> Porta is a true believer, right? A bird is a difficult thing to sculpt. I wish we'd gotten more Vedics involved here. Yeah. Like the there definitely seem to be like different schools of thought among them and Porta is it it kind of seems like he's pulling the strings from behind the scenes kind of like giving uh giving Akoramlan like nudges in the direction that Vedic Porta wants things to go. I mean, this is the beginning of an understanding of Vedic Borta's evangelism, right? Like, it's nothing could be more natural than the idea of a stranger giving up everything she she's known for her entire life and embracing the Dajara. Like, it's right. it's like he just doesn't understand at all why Kira wouldn't do that, and yeah. that's like the that's the danger of like religious in- insulation. Like, right. you you just have no basis. For for understanding anyone else in a constructive way, even if your goal is to like achieve that understanding in order to 
evangelize or or like yeah. conscript or whatever. Like like it's such a weird position to to take. There's a case to be made for like that that you know puts you far enough outside of it to be a dispassionate third party observer. But I think in in practice, just means you're ignorant of the considerations of it. Right. Yeah. And and like Vedic Porta is not being asked to completely rethink his life, but a lot of other people are. Right. And he has zero understanding that that's going on. Yeah. And no empathy for it either. <laughs> Maybe you should have started with something simpler. Yeah. He's a real piece of shit. We cut to the quarters of the O'Briens and Molly makes a terrible darts opponent. For for miles, it's not the dart game does not go great, Ben, <laughs> because they're playing with one of those plastic dart boards, and yeah, it's just so unsatisfying. When uh, like there's like playing with real darts feels and sounds good. Like there's the weight of the dart when it's got the metal tip. There's yeah. that uh, the satisfying feeling of like pulling a dart out of the cork. Like there's a lot of like tactile sensations yeah. that are very enjoyable to a dart game that a, that a child is unable to to achieve with a plastic dartboard. Right. And uh, and you definitely don't want a kid as young as Molly getting her hands on something as sharp as a real pub dart. You're going to get yourself mourned if you give Molly uh, a bunch of real darts. That's what I think. Yeah. Or worse yet, Nausicaa'd. <laughs> right. <laughs> Keiko Daddy, kind of- play blood sports with me. <laughs> Daddy, play <laughs> dartboard. <laughs> dartboard, daddy. Then she just plunges a knife through his heart. Yeah. Keiko kind of coat shames Miles in this scene because I guess that was the one thing he didn't blow out the airlock. Yeah. I don't know, man. I mean, I, I'll i say this. This is just my situation i'm not speaking for anyone else but like uh i don't feel like my wife goes into my closet to police what's in there just as i don't go into hers to do the same i think uh i think keiko is kind of snooping yeah what's she doing this for as dan savage says you know if you snoop you might find something you don't want to find yeah like this embarrassing cosplay that her husband is into yeah, this uh, this scene pivots from one of embarrassment to uh, to one of uh, one of romance. I, I, ben, I believe the word for embarrassment is data and yar. The morning <laughs> after, Adam. <laughs> right. All right. That's that's been established. So yeah. so there is a scene of data and yar the morning after, that then uh, pivots into some smooching. Yeah, <laughs> data and yar the night of. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Usually it doesn't go that direction. Want to try for twins? I don't think it works that way. But uh, this isn't something that Miles and Keiko can complete. So uh, Miles, his sails half unfurled. <laughs> Miles stuffing the sails back in. <laughs> Miles, his sail color blue. <laughs> more, more, more. So Starfleet is pretty cranky about this whole new emissary situation because it has basically taken Bajor out of the running to be a 
a new member of the Federation, and that was the whole job that Ben Sisko was sent there to do. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and the, they discuss, like he discusses the irony of that a little bit with Major Kira because, you know, like they weren't psyched about him, you know, moving into his new office and then immediately becoming a religious figure to the people he was trying to, like, have a diplomatic relationship with. Yeah. But um, but this is even worse than that. So I think the choice to make Kira and Cisco the embodiment of this conflict is a great one. Like, yeah, they are uh, they're on opposite sides of the religious question. They are friends and very close co-workers to give them the torch for their opposing conflicts, I thought was great. And this scene is so emotional so much more emotional than than one might expect. It was it was great. These are the two actors on the show that you turn to to put a ton of emotional subtext into a pretty perfunctory business conversation. Yeah. And I think that they do a great job with that. I love how Cisco can't even finish his thought before she leaves. Like he says something like uh like about replacing her and being unable to do that, but he can't even finish that moment. Yeah, because she's she's headed back to Bajor to like learn how to make tapestries or something. Yeah, we get a scene in Quarks where O'Brien and Bashir are kind of bemoaning how little time they've been able to spend with each other, trying to trying to brush past it like uh, like they're not both super sad about the situation. This is my favorite scene of the episode because this is a two-minute wonder, Ben. Yeah, they, oh, uh, they do a great job with this. I The thing that sticks out to me about the scene more than any element, and setting aside, like, there's a lot of dialogue here, and there's a lot to do, and there's a lot an actor needs to think about w- with relation to all that's going on. The only thing I could think about was, man, Kalamini drank, drinks like three quarters of a beer or whatever is in the mug, and you know he had to do this scene many times. <laughs> How much did he drink on this shooting day, just of liquid? Do you think he was just going, like, instead of a spit bucket, he had, like, a barf bucket, and he just, like, stuck his finger down his throat between takes? I mean, wonders are so hard to do, and you know they're having to retake this a bunch. Like, I... <laughs> I love Kalamini, but this seems like a huge mistake. Yeah. <laughs> to concentrate on so much drinking. Did you listen to that recent Doughboys where Kevin Pollack described like the first scene he was ever in in a movie where he he had to like eat something? Yeah. And and he ate like an entire plate of food in the first take, only <laughs> then to realize that they were going to be shooting coverage on that scene for 2 days and he was going to have to eat that amount for every single take. Oh my for god. For 2 fucking days. It's so funny. <laughs> it's so funny. Kalamini is not an amateur. Like, like yeah. he is a fucking grizzled veteran at this point. He is making a choice. <laughs> it's so much fun. Yeah. It's a great scene. Turns out Vedic Porta is not the squeaky clean religious figure he presents himself as, Adam. He's a slightly murderous person also. This is the... This is the dark side of the coin of what we were talking about earlier with respect to a person's uh, 
evangelism. Like Vedic Porta does a terrible thing and does not know that what he did was terrible because he prescribes to a completely different set of values to everyone else. Right. Like he pushes a guy off of a off of the upper floor of the promenade and he's like, Yeah, that guy was from a shit cast and he deserved to die. Like that's how we roll now. Like yeah. no regret, no nothing. You killed him because of his Dajara? I had to. Fedek Porta came to this way of thinking very quickly. <laughs> he was ready. He's like the guy who uh, who like stocks a bug out bunker like for the for the end of the world, right. and like as soon as his power goes out, he like starts loading his automatic weapons <laughs> and like and like putting cow catchers on the front of his car. Like, right. He, he's a type of vigilance that's a little creepy. Yeah. He's a he's like bring on the race war guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you never see what happens to him. It seems like he should be tried and convicted of murder, right? Like right. Odo drags him off and says it's murder, but like you don't see him again. I sure hope that's the case that they gave him. Yeah, well, I think Vedic Porta is is playing a game where he's expecting that uh, the political paradigm is going to shift so fast that he's going to be out, you know, this time next Tuesday. Do you get to declare religious asylum if you're Vedic Porta? Like, do you think that that it's fine? I wonder if that's what happens here. I don't know. Yeah. You know that this conflict has to come to a head directly between Akorum and Cisco, right? you got to put them in a room together, and they've got to argue it out. And that's what we get towards the end of the episode. Right. And, uh, and what's proposed is basically an emissary fight. <laughs> they're going to go... Uh, they're they're going to go... They break Appeal. the wormhole in half, stick it in the middle of the room. <laughs> Whoever leaves the room wins. Tryouts. They're going to go appeal directly to the wormhole alien slash prophets to, to get uh, a definitive word on this. I wish that we knew why they were reluctant to do this from the start. Like, is it dangerous? Is there punishment if you ask a question that they don't like? I think like, it's just that Cisco was pretty excited about being being able to leave that part of his life behind you know what that's the right answer isn't it like there was no interest on his part to to have this adjudicated by the prophets because at this point he didn't ma- it didn't matter to him right like when when a Lan wakes up in the infirmary and says i'm the i'm the emissary there's lots of keenan reacts in the room but <laughs> it's not cisco going like now wait a second yeah. i'm pretty sure that i'm the you know it's it's yeah. never that. It's like it's it's like heavy, but it's not uh he's not defending his position because he doesn't want that position. Akorum is so confident in his position that he agrees to meet the prophets, and so they take a runabout into the wormhole, and once inside we're we're treated with another moment with the prophets, which have re- like these scenes have really grown to be my favorites uh in Deep Space Nine. I really like how these are done. I thought it was interesting that they were all familiar Deep Space Nine characters and not like I thought it would have been I thought it would have been cool to bring in some Akoram Lan friends, <laughs> you know, because he because in his recounting of how he became the emissary, he's like, yeah, it was like my brother and my father in law, like, you know, it was like people from his life. And uh, I thought it would have been interesting to just like blend in a couple of people that we've never met before, but are obviously familiar to him. What but the maybe, maybe that's those... subjective. Maybe we're yeah. just seeing it from Cisco's point of view. 
Oh, that's interesting. Like if he were to go inside a quorum's head, maybe he's seeing different people from his yeah. POV. Yeah. You know, hearing you describe the familiars to Cisco uh, sort of taught me why a quorum was doing all the talking. Like he's, he's talking like a nervous man. Yeah. And I guess if you're greeted by a bunch of prophets that are unfamiliar with you, you might feel compelled to make your case the way that he does. Right. I think it is fascinating that the character willingly accepts that he is not, in fact, the emissary, even though it's not really said explicitly. It is all said in kind of cryptic, yeah, prophety terms. <laughs> Akorum's like, I'm not the Cisco. Cisco's the Cisco. But that doesn't mean anything about whether or not <laughs> I'm the emissary or not. Right. It feels definitive because they both agree to agree on what they heard, you know? As soon as it's put on the table that Akorum can go back to his time and see his family again, that seems uh, like that seems like what he's wanted from the start. You never yeah. get, a, get the sense that he's shattered from his time travel, but as soon as he's presented with this chance, he jumps at it. Yeah, that's a nice point. If there had been like one scene of, of him grieving the loss of contact with his family. Yeah. That would have been cool. Yeah, so what the prophets say is really up to interpretation, and that goes for Cisco and Acorum and you and me. Like by saying Cisco is the Cisco and we are of Bajor and you are of Bajor, like those aren't those aren't explicitly saying anything. You're you're projecting a little bit of of the significance of that. Yeah. I mean I guess the the case is that is that Cisco kind of needed to have his faith tested and this was a they they saw an opportunity to use a quorum to do it. If the Jaras belong in the past, why did you send me into the future? For the Cisco. Time is a flat circle to them. <laughs> so so yeah the the uh, the resolution is that Akoromlan agrees to not be the emissary, and then Cisco goes back and he's like, "Hey guys, actually, it turns out I'm the emissary after all." And everybody's like, "Okay." What's great about the emissary process is that there's next to nothing to do to transfer <laughs> this power. I have said it, and so it is done. Forget about all that Dejara garbage. <laughs> Just a little little confusion. <laughs> Go back to uh, life as you were living it before. <laughs> you really want to do this here now? Okay, okay, let's do it. Do it. And they discover that uh, his poems are all are all finished. All the ones that he left uh, unfinished when he uh, went on his wormhole adventure are finished now that he was able to return to the past. Yeah, it turns out that Akoram uh, Lan ended up being the richest man in the history of Bajor uh, <laughs> by virtue of all of his winning sports bets. God, I've never heard anyone like him being compared to Biff Tannen before, but that's pretty smart. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in the little resolution with the O'Briens, Keiko is going to let the chief go have hangs with his buddy. I mean, it's... I mean, it may be different than even lead. It looks like Keiko is is instrumental in in a manipulation of the two. He, she wants Miles out of her apartment. Yeah, she kind of like parent traps them back together. Yeah, you know what? We cut down the Miles and Keiko relationship fairly early on. K 
Keiko's not doing much to inspire our faith in them because there's a lot of going behind each other's backs at play here. Yeah. You know, if, if, you're, if your husband's a loud mouth breather, uh, maybe, maybe tell him to go read in the other room or something. You don't have to, <laughs> you don't have to resort to these games. Yeah, just uh, just be just be frank with your needs. Yeah, you like this episode, Ben? I kind of did. Yeah, it's a low key, important feeling episode. The idea that Cisco would kind of, you know, his emissariness is a really important aspect of his character, but also not always the primary focus of the show, even when a bunch of Bajoran religious or political shit is popping off. And uh, an episode that challenges that and gets and and resolves with him recommitting to that role is pretty interesting because, you know, like I feel like he really does change by the end of this episode. Like he starts really rolling his eyes at the blessing of a marriage and then like a a girl is going to have her quinceañera at the end and and he's quite a bit more enthused about about playing that role in her life and uh i think that's pretty fascinating yeah it's one of those stories that shows like character growth being of the kind that you know cisco grows by appreciating what he's always had instead of changing like fundamentally, it, like his perspective changes, but he doesn't. Right. And I think that's a nuanced story to tell and a, a difficult one. Like it feels like this show has been, you know, at times broad and at times all about action. And this feels like the first episode in a long while that we've gotten something where the conflict was so internal. Right. And uh, I I appreciated that about this episode. Me too. You know what I appreciate, Adam, is uh, Priority One messages. Do you want to see if we have any in the inbox? Let's get to it. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Adam, we have a couple of Priority One messages here. First one is very late. I think it was supposed to come, <laughs> come out in February. Here we are, June, uh, doing it. It's from Pat, Claire, and Katie, and it is to Murray Ross McCullough. It's practically Murray Ross McCullough's half-birthday at this point. I know. Sorry, Murray. Happy birthday, brother. Thank you for being a benevolent dictator to the remote control when we were a kid, so I got to watch Star Trek and Law and Order at an inappropriately young age. That's awesome. Do you ever think it's weird that Dr. Soong didn't bother to give Data the ability to use contractions, but he did make sure he could really fuck? I think about that a lot. Mm. <laughs> and now, so do I. <laughs> yeah. Uh, happy birthday, Murray. Sorry about the extreme tardiness of the message, but uh, it, is, uh, it is tough to line these up uh, according to specific dates, so it's not, uh, it's not Pat, Claire, and Katie's fault. Certainly not. Not as much as it is your fault, Murray Ross McCulloch, for uh, growing him up fast. Yeah. 
as is the right thing to do. <laughs> I, I agree with all of your decisions. That's a that's a big brother move that you did also. I didn't watch TV much with my brother, I don't think. <laughs> okay. Ben, our second priority one message is from Abram. It is for Amanda. And the message goes like this. Amanda, I love you with the passion stirred and Picard by young Wesley Crusher. <laughs> with the helplessness, Worf feels trying to open a door with the abandon that overtakes Adam when he torpedoes Ben's veto. <laughs> and in parentheses, it says, sorry, the references are old. I'm at TNG season four. Wow. Message continues. Thank you for being with me for all of life's drunk Shimodas. I couldn't ask for a better crewmate. That Good job, Amanda. Uh, yeah, and uh, and uh, Abram has a lot of catching up to do <laughs> with the show. Yeah, wow. Long runway ahead. That feels like a different podcast that he's talking about there. Yeah, but those are those are the greatest hits. Yeah. Abram knows what's up. Well, if you would like to send a very belated birthday message or commercial message or whatever... You head to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron, where it's 100 bucks for a personal message and 200 for a commercial message. And those monies help us cover the cost of making this show. Gotta get that, get that gold press action. Boy, do I love a microdose gummy from Lumi Labs. I'm, uh, I'm running low, so I'm going to head over to microdose.com pretty soon and put in another order. Microdosing is a technique I use to steer my mentals in a preferred direction several times a week. And uh, I just love it because you can really predict what is going to happen and to what degree it is going to happen because these are very low dose cannabis gummies that uh, give you an entry level dose that help you feel just the right amount of good. And they've been super loyal as sponsors to Greatest Trek and Greatest Gen. So I hope you will give them a try. Get 30% off your first order plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code is SCARVES for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. You might have heard us talk about Squarespace before and you're thinking, what do I need a website for? I already have a bunch of profiles across the different social medias. But isn't it time you had a place online that wasn't owned by a social media company? How about you take control of your online identity with a website of your own? For that, there's Squarespace. With Squarespace, you can buy a URL and build a customized website with your name, and not a giant social media company's name, with your name attached and a bunch of numbers at the end. With Squarespace, you can have a place on the internet personalized to your aesthetic that lets you tell people about who you are instead of an algorithm. And the best part is, you don't have to be an experienced designer or a web page creator to make something great because Squarespace is always there for you with their award-winning 24 by seven customer support. Don't settle for being another company's product. Be your own product with a website that's all you with Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com. The code is SCARVES. Think it. Dream it. Make it with Squarespace. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? 
Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Hey, Adam. What's up, Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Drunk Shimoda! I did. I like... I don't think it, it comes as any surprise to you that I like watching extras on this show. I like looking at their reactions to things. Uh-huh. And there is a lady at the bar in the scene where Bashir and O'Brien are commiserating about the news of his second child and the end of Keiko's pregnancy, where like it's said sort of loudly in the room so everyone can hear. This isn't this is a public place at Quarks. So they're having a conversation and there's a there's a, a uniformed person sitting at the bar and she turns into profile on camera and makes like surprise congratulations smile face. Like she <laughs> she quietly like turns there and like does what like that. Like, <laughs> like it's unclear whether or not she knows them, but I think they're familiar enough to have made like that sort of generous facial expression like in that moment. Is she a Bajoran or a Starfleet? I think she's a Starfleet. She's a blonde Starfleet, and she's wearing the gold uniform. Oh, wow. I'm almost positive. And uh, and that face was great. Like, you know, so we know this. Like, extras are coached into not standing out. And, and one of the ways you do that is by uh, not making wild facial expressions uh, right. in background. But uh, I'm so glad. You're not supposed to be reacting to what the uh, the people talking are doing most of the time. I'm so glad that this one does. I think she really adds to the context of like this public place, like this scene. I think it was appropriate and good. So she's my Shimoda. That's really fun. My Shimoda is uh, not going to come as a huge surprise. It's it's Commander Worf. Yeah. Because uh, (laughs) when uh, it is mentioned to him that that Keiko is going to have a baby. His response is, no. (laughs) Very funny. Very uh, excellent use of canon, you know? That whole scene is so funny, Ben. Like, the the logical extension of Star Trek as a place is that the characters are people. Yeah. And there is, 
it, like this is a perfect opportunity to to use them as such. We talk all the time about how how vociferously we disagree with people listening to the show at anything other than regular speed. Right. And this scene in Deep Space Nine is an example of that. I rarely see a scene shot and cut for comedy in this show that like sits in the quiet for like another half a second longer than you would expect. And this is that scene. Like you're on Worf's face, expressionless, for way longer than I think a lot of people would expect. I think like as far as like the visual comedy goes, this was expertly done. Yeah. I really yeah, love it. Seriously. Super well done. Yeah. Uh what do we have coming up on the next episode, Ben? Next episode is season four, episode seventeen, Rules of Engagement. The Klingon Empire accuses Worf of wantonly destroying a Klingon civilian ship during a battle. Put the ship in soup? <laughs> Is that how you wantonly kill something? No, you, you you put it in a dumpling. Oh, right. Yeah. But then that dumpling goes into a soup, a delicious soup. Yeah. That's one of the top soups. Yeah. It's so clean. That, that, that clear broth. Yeah. It's one of the great broths. That's an underrated restaurant soup, I think. Yeah, I kind of agree. A lot of people go for a for like a, a hot and sour or the or the like rice soup. Right. Give me give me that cup with like two dumplings in it. That 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 amuse bouche serving of soup. Yeah. It's great. That's about all the soup I ever want. You know? Oh, I'm, a cup of soup me. is plenty. Do you not like having like big bowls of ramen and stuff? And pho? Yeah. I d- I I'm not crazy about pho. I like ramen a lot, but oh no, I feel like I'll I'll almost always be happier with with a with a food than a soup. Oh, good to know. But I would like a soup as a as like a an element of a of a of a balanced breakfast or whatever. You know, you and I like to have people over for dinner a bunch. Yeah. You know what I almost never do is soup appetizer. You should do that. No one does that. One thing we've talked a lot about lately in our in our friendship not making show life is when entertaining, like making that job easy for yourself and not and not like uh, you know, declaring that you're gonna make sushi or something and right. then find yourself like hunched over two dozen little sushi rolls that aren't gonna be that good because you can't get them out in the same way that a restaurant can. You and I have a great relationship because we will often send each other panicked texts, like <laughs> as we're descending into kitchen hell. Like yeah, things yeah. are the the dinner party does not go well, Benjamin. <laughs> Thanksgivings are uh, are great because yeah. we stand in solidarity as people who insist on taking over that meal, but also find ourselves in over our heads inevitably. Yeah. Back to your point, though, uh, what could be easier than soup? A pre-prepared soup that you've uh, you've toiled over and, and is just warming, ready to be dished out? Right. I'm going to consider that next time. It's going to really surprise some people. That's a real dog paw to the temple. <laughs> All right. Uh, so head over to gach.biz slash game, fair listener, if you would like to follow on with our game of buttholes. The Will of the Prophets. 
uh, we are presently on square two because we went through that wormhole. And that means that there's basically no chance of us hitting anything with any, uh, with any impact ahead. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. I'm going to go ahead and roll the, the bone and see what we hit. Did I win? Hardly. And I have rolled a four. So uh, we are on square six now. All right. And, uh, we could uh, next time hit a, uh, a Coco No-No. Uh, that's or not a, in range for me, Ben. I only roll ones. Oh, yeah. Or a Fuck It will do it live if you if you roll a six, I guess. Oh, yeah. That's there, too. Yeah. So uh, neither, real, ni- neither are, are really a concern because Adam... Rolls ones, but uh, but yeah, yeah looking gonna, forward to. We're gonna bring a great normal episode to the people next time. Yeah. How do you, how do you think uh, how do you think today's square worked out? Pretty good. I really liked it. Um, I'm sure we'll get a lot of complaints. Sure, but uh, that's because uh, there's always like a vocal minority of people that would rather a show be exactly what they imagined ahead of time or something i don't know like i don't know what that is (laughs) yeah i like uh, i like a chance to pre-write some stuff so yeah so i i was into it too i really liked your metaphors hey thanks man you too all right well uh we'll see you next time uh but uh before we go we got some thanks to give out first of all the friends of desoto who go to maximumfund.org slash donate and support the show and also all the folks who recommend the show, uh, whether that be via their podcasting apps, rating or recommendation engine, or by uh, recommending it in real life to a friend or family member that they think would enjoy it. Yeah, getting the word out. So crucial in these times. Got to thank our buddy Adam Ragusia, who has made so much custom theme music for the show and is now a... YouTube superstar with hundreds of thousands of views on all his all his cooking videos. Uh, just search for Adam Ragusia on YouTube, and you will find his his other work, and uh, he's doing great. Yeah, um, big fan. Yeah, and uh, also Dark Materia, who wrote who uh, created the original theme music for The Greatest Generation, the Picard song, and was kind enough to let us use it. Ben, we got a message into the drunk Shimoda box about Dark Materia. Did you read that? No. Uh, someone mentioned that they knew the real Dark Materia, and it turns out the real Dark Materia, super cool dude. I believe it. Cool and nice. Uh, Dark for- Materia was really nice to us when we had like four or five episodes of our show out, and we we're like, God, we are real monsters for not asking permission to use this piece of music. We should do that, and we yeah. sent an email and. Dark Materia replied and was like, yeah, go for it. Yeah, pretty great. Yeah. Uh, about as great as Bill Tilly and J.J. Lendl, uh, who create artwork for each and every episode that we produce. Artwork that is of the highest quality in both beauty and comedy. That is in tr- indeed true. With that, we'll be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. An episode of The Greatest Generation, Deep Space Nine, that features the return of an old friend. Captain,
MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.